You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV. And crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, November 9th, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler filled discussion about Andor episode 10. This is Slash Film editorial director Peter Serretta. Joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Star Wars expert Brian Young. That is me. Okay, we have one letter in feedback that I wanted to read. This one actually doesn't have a, a ton to do with Andor, but I, I thought I'd uh, read it anyways. Uh, Ken from Dublin, Ireland. Which is, It's crazy to me that people from Ireland are listening to this. Listen They're to Star us. Wars fans. Yeah. I mean, there's Star Wars fans everywhere, but it's, just, it's crazy to me when I, I'm like, wow, people way over there are listening to us ramble. It was actually like it was weird um, for my other podcast. Ireland, like the Tourism Bureau was like, we need to increase Star Wars tourism. So like two years ago, they sent me and my podcast co-host over there to just do a live podcast and hang out and see all the last Jedi sites. And it's like. Ireland doesn't surprise me. They're Star Wars fans there. Whoa. Okay. Well, this is from Ken. He says, just finished your latest Andor and Tales of the Jedi episodes. Love these Star Wars podcast episodes, especially Brian's knowledge of all things Star Wars. Been meaning to email you about this ages ago. Brian keeps mentioning the canon books. I'm looking to start reading those. Where do I start? And are there many? Yes, there are many. Where to start really is a matter of what your interest is. 
if you like the prequels, there is a bunch of books there that I would say to check out. Um, specifically, like Brotherhood and E.K. Johnston's Queen's uh, Shadow Books. If you like, and then there's some stuff like Dooku Lost or um, that's the audio drama. Those are good places to start if you're really into the prequels. If you're into the classic trilogy, the place I would start is Lost Stars, which is a really terrific book. Um, so good. It's 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 so good. I can't sing its praises enough. Or it, like, is that universally considered the best of the the new canon books? Um, it's definitely like it's arguably the best. I think there are some people who will be like, oh, it's great, but I love X, Y, or Z yeah. more. But it's always one of those books that everybody's like, yeah, we're into. It's definitely the most accessible. Yeah, say. for sure, for sure. Um, if you're into the classic trilogy also like beyond lost stars, there are definitely books that sort of um, move around that era um, or are sort of prequels to it. I would suggest, especially if you're into rogue one catalyst and Tarkin um, Lords of the Sith is a good one. And sort of the, those capture that, that era pretty well. If you're into Star Wars Rebels or haven't gotten into Star Wars Rebels yet, A New Dawn is a really good place to start. And that's sort of the origin story of Hera and Kanan. Um, and then moving... Don't, don't, don't overlook the the comics. I feel like for original oh, trilogy yeah. stuff, there's a lot of great stuff in the comics. Yeah, no, there really is. The comics kind of focus on the era between A New Hope and Empire. And then they kind of took a break and then are focusing now on the empire uh, empire between the gap between empire and Jedi. And those are really great places to start. And with Marvel unlimited, which I think is worldwide, I think you can get that in Ireland. If not, let us know. Um, those are really great places to check out too. And then if you're into the sequel era, there are all kinds of books. Uh, most recently shadows of the Sith, uh, which kind of bridges return of the Jedi and the events from rise of Skywalker that actually made rise of Skywalker sort of a better experience for me as I, as I watched that movie. Um, there's also bloodline, which is a really great book by Claudia gray that sort of bridges those two areas as well. And sort of leads really well into the last Jedi and the events we know that happened there. Um, but if you're interested in a clean slate, start with the high Republic. Um, there's a pretty clear reading order for them and all of the books sort of tackle similar major events in the galaxy from different angles. And so light of the Jedi is a great place to start. Although um, with the second phase of the high Republic actually going further back in time, that might be a great jumping on point too. Um, Star Wars convergence comes out this month uh, from Zoraida Cordova. And it's a really great, easy introductory read to the whole high Republic era. So, um, and, and there's different things to different tastes too, right? Like if you're into politics, there's books that do that. If you're into space battles, there's books that do that. If you want Sherlock Holmes kind of stuff, all of Timothy Zahn's Thrawn books, um, they wind through a whole bunch of different eras, but they feel very much like the, the Imperial Sherlock Holmes, uh, deducing things and, and putting things on, on the, um, on the agenda. So 
or on the in the canon. So yeah. there's a lot of different places to start, and there's no wrong place to start, and you don't have to read them in any sort of order. Just find you know what your tastes are, and go from there. And I'd like to add, uh, if you're like me and you have a hard time finding time in your life to pick up a book and read, maybe look into Audible or the audiobooks because the usually the production value on the audiobooks almost feel like a radio drama in a yeah. way where they have and music are, and sound effects and everything. There are radio dramas that they've done. They've done a couple. They've done one in the High Republic. They did that Count Dooku one and they did that Dr. Afra one. Those are all terrific. Brad, do you do you have any any thoughts on uh, good canon books to read? Uh, so I have um, I haven't kept up with a lot of the like novels or anything like that, but I will say what I have appreciated about the new canon uh, are just picking up a lot of the comic book threads. Um, I really dig those uh, the the in between comic books that fill in the gaps between the original trilogy. Uh, the Darth Vader comic is is pretty fantastic. Uh, the Lando Calrissian comic is a lot of fun. So yeah, I think the comic books would be my, my primary suggestion. Yeah. I, I, I can tell you some of my favorite moments reading the new star Wars canon have been in the comics. Like there's a moment in uh, you, you get to find out how Darth Vader learns uh, that Luke Skywalker was the one in a new hope. And then it's, it's just a cool moment to, to experience, but uh, okay. Anyways, uh, Let's jump into our brief thoughts on Andor. Uh, Brad, why don't you start things off? What What are your thoughts on episode 10? More good stuff. Uh, we finally get get that prison break we've been waiting for. <laughs> um, it's it's executed uh, spectacularly. Um, there's just, yeah, you know, this I, I the more I see the series, the more the more I love it. Um, Andy Circus is especially fantastic. In this series, uh, this I mean, this episode actually is what I meant, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, this whole this whole episode is really uh, you know focused mostly on this this prison break and the way it's pulled off is uh, really it just felt like not not just like great for Star Wars but just a great prison break in general, you know, like ranking ranking it among you know some of the great prison break movies uh, that we've seen over the uh, the decades. So yeah. And it's a lot different than I feel like a lot of the prison break stuff that we've seen, because usually that involves like this elaborate plan. Yeah. And here it kind of is like, we have one shot. It's today. We have an idea, but yeah, really mostly flying by the seat of their pants. Yeah. Um, I I think that's how this particular prison, like, I, I think that's the perfect way to go about it too. Right. Where it's like Cassian's right. There is no better shot than right now. And if we don't take it, what are they going to do? Like force us to work for the rest of our lives anyway? And that's a really compelling argument. Um, I will say this. I, I really enjoyed this episode. I thought it was a very satisfying conclusion to the prison break uh, arc. But I guess where, where I'm a little skeptical of right now is I'm really not sure where this leaves us. Because usually at this point in a TV season where you're a you know, heading into the penultimate episode, you really feel the pressure and you usually like, you know, everything's headed towards like, you know, an intersection. And I don't really see what's, I really don't understand what's coming. I'm still very enjoying it. So this is uh, me, um, I guess, uh, being skeptical of like how they're going to conclude this season. 
But well, uh, I mean, we yeah. can talk about this more in speculation, but I think that there's one important thing that's still hanging, you know, even beyond the prison break. Um, but like I said, we'll talk about that in speculation. Yeah. Okay, uh, Brian, what did you think of this episode? So for me, I really, really obviously enjoyed this. I think the thing that's, that stuck out for me the most, though, is the stuff with Mon Mothma and the increasingly uncomfortable positions she has to put herself in in order to support the rebellion. Yeah. And I think that almost overshadows how great the prison break is, but that just goes to show you how great all of the moving parts of the show are. Yeah, yeah. Um, what? What? Do you, well, I guess we could talk about that later. Um, do you want? <laughs> do you want to get into the breakdown? Yeah, let's. Okay, let's jump into it. So we see the body being hauled off in a body bag from last week, and uh, it's interesting to see these medical stretchers in the Star Wars galaxy. It's like a. Uh, it's kind of like how uh, Boba Fett walks with the Han and Carbonite, where it's like uh be levitating above the ground but also has his, like own droid navigating which i thought was interesting um okay so uh cassian tries to convince kino that they need to pull the prison break tomorrow he believes time is of the essence because there will never be less guards than there will be tomorrow but kino thinks that they would be better off uh, to wait and solidify a more solid plan uh brad who's right here <laughs> i mean uh <laughs> it's knowing what we know about the episode yeah. i mean I, I think the answer is clear but but the caution you know is warranted <laughs> yeah i i think kino's a smart person but the, the fact that he was convinced to actually get into it i think also shows you that uh that this was the right plan to go with i think i think more than this this shows why Luthen was so right about Cassian, right? Cassian has this window into the minds of the way the Imperial machine works that make it so that he can come up with this stuff on the fly and have it be successful because he's observing things that no one really, no one else really does or puts them together in ways that are really unique. And so when Luthen in the first, in the first arc was just like, he's more important than the box. I still think that's true. And I still think that Luthen is going to try to bring him back in instead of kill him. Um, Although Val and Cinta might, might try to, force that that issue um before before luthan can get involved yeah okay uh so the prison block learns that the empire is never letting them go and they need to come up with a plan back at the isb uh they learn that the shipwreck that they sent uh into space was found was discovered uh one of the other imperial supervisors guy named lonnie jung uh suggests that the least suspicious thing that they could do is investigate as they, they would have, if they weren't actually involved in the setup. And, uh, by the way, this is a character that's been in the ISB the whole time. This guy named Lonnie, he's played by Robert Ems, uh, who was in the, uh, BBC series Atlantis and the HBO miniseries Chernobyl. And, uh, his role becomes bigger in this episode. We can talk about that later. Yeah. But, any thoughts on him? I think that 
after this episode, I'm going to want to go back and look at the other episodes and actually kind of track how he's acting in these scenes. <laughs> Me too. Because I'm, too. I'm sure there's something more there that we haven't seen yet because we didn't know to look for it. Yeah. Uh, the next morning, Kino makes a big pitch to the crew. They begin the day shift, uh, day shift and wait for the right moment. And then we cut to Ferrix where uh, Cinta is watching on as a woman named Jezzy. And I only know this because of the subtitles tries to get advice from Dr. Momoy. Uh, she's been hiding her pills because they have been putting her off from the food. Uh, and then we see a man take notice from across the street. What is going on here? This is like the one scene I, I wasn't clear, like what exactly is going on. That's, that's the ISB agent that they've got watching the house. And that's, Oh, Cinta. the man. Okay. Yeah. The, and then that's Cinta. Like you also see Cinta watching the house too. And it's like everybody's eyes, like Marva and Marva's house and Marva's plight are suddenly like pivotal to the future of the war in the galaxy. But who is Jezzy? The woman that's like trying to figure out the pill situation. Or is that just someone that's like her, like the person that's like taking care of her? Yeah, I think, I think that's the case. Okay. Uh, so we then cut to Coruscant, where Davo Skuldun is uh, a wealthy thug, plays, uh, pays um, Mon Mothma, I can't talk, Mon Mothma a visit at her residence. And Davo says he wants no fee in his help with her money situation. But instead, he requests that uh, Mon introduce her daughter to his son. They're of the of similar ages. Uh, Brad, the, the, I don't know. It's not said here because, like, I feel like he says, like, "Oh, I'm not looking for this, like the the Chandrilla custom that whatever." But is he looking for more than an introduction? I I mean, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, what do you what what do you make out of this whole situation here? I think they're really connecting the dots between Mon Mothma and Perrin's loveless relationship and laid the groundwork for their marriage to really make this scene feel extra gross and heartbreaking. Especially since, like, in the grand scheme of things, like ultimately Mon Mothma's a pragmatist. She doesn't want to say yes to this, but I really think she's gonna agree to that introduction. Because oh, you, the work really of the Republic, so. I really think so. Because the work of the Republic is ultimately more important, right? Then Especially if he's just like daughter? just an introduction, just an introduction, right? Like just an introduction. It's like, how bad could that go? What if they do hit it off? What if they do want to? Like, I don't know. But would she want her daughter even associating with the the son of uh, this thug? I mean, like Palpatine's like close personal friends and advisors come to her house every week. This guy on that scale is not anywhere close to those people and her daughter's interacting with them. Uh, we should also say that Davo is played by Richard Delane and uh, he played uh, he has a legacy in the Batman uh movies and TV series. I'm not sure if you know this guy. He's Thomas Wayne on Pennyworth. And he was the acting commissioner in The Dark Knight. 
but also he played a British intelligence agent in in uh, in Argo. So uh, I think he he's good. He's a good good actor, and I, I like to see him. He's like uh, just the right amount of um, icky, I guess I would say. Yeah, it's it's if it's a very threatening sort of icky. Yeah. So, Brad, what do you think? Like, Davo believes that she's still considering it. She insists otherwise and makes him leave. Do you think that she's still considering this offer? Yeah, I mean, she really has to because I think, you know, Brian's right. It's like it's it's disgusting and it sucks. Um, but like so it's the only road. Yeah. You know, she knows what's at what is at risk. And at the end of the day, like it's it's she's not agreeing to something like heinous yet. Um but I'm sure this will only, you know, complicate uh, the relationship between her and her daughter. Um, but yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely some uh, almost like Game of Thrones kind of shit going on here. I, it's it's like sort of a microcosm too of how the Jedi sort of were forced to sell out their ideals slowly, right? Like, hey, we've got this army for you, but we're keepers of the peace. Well, well, this seems like a good way to keep the peace. Like, we can do this for a little bit. Like, there are steps that they're taking towards selling themselves out and i think i think mon mothma is sort of heading down that road where it's like well this is a compromise i can make because it doesn't necessarily mean anything yet and we can just burn the next bridge when we come to it yeah yeah but at one point you're stuck in the corner and there's no place else to go but compromise in front of you (laughs) this is the problem um Okay, so Clea found Mark on the fountain, meaning that he wants a meeting. Uh, she would rather go instead of Luthen, but Luthen insists to go because it's been a whole year since the last meeting, and it must be important. Um, I wanted to ask you guys this, a whole year. So this guy, I mean, we, we learn later that this guy uh, has been working for the Rebellion. He's infiltrated the ISB. He's working there as a supervisor. I'm talking about Lonnie, and uh, so he hasn't he hasn't spoken to them in a whole year. Like, what kind of intelligence is that if you if you're not even getting anything over the course of one year? No, I don't think he hasn't dropped. He hasn't given them information over the the last year. I don't think he's had a face to face meeting with them oh, okay. over a year. Yeah, yeah, that that's why this like this seem, is the tension is built up here because like this has this kind of meeting with them hasn't happened in a long time. So he's definitely been able to pass intelligence during that time. Um, but yeah, this is, this is a rare occasion for, to have such a meeting like this. That makes more sense. I feel like I, I got the impression because like once they met, like he had like this basket of information to give him that, uh, but I guess he was like packaging that up as his like uh, farewell gift, I guess like, you know, I need to get out of this, but um, yeah. Okay. So um Back on level two, uh, they're bringing a new prisoner to replace Uof, and Andor is working on that pipe again. Uh, but this time he breaks through, and the liquid sprays everywhere, uh, just in time for the elevator scaffold to be lowered. There's a lot of good tension in the scene, and uh, the liquid's streaming out. Will they notice? I'm not sure if they're going to notice. What is this liquid? Is this flammable? Uh, what, what did... Uh, Brad, what did you think of this whole sequence? Yeah, it just perfectly builds tension and just the way it keeps cutting around to, you know, all the different characters and how they're preparing for what's about to happen and just laying the groundwork for uh, all of the steps we'll see as to how this is going to going to unfold. 
um yeah this was just you know like i said at the, at the top of the show like this is just just a great prison break yeah and uh i will say i understood that the a plan was happening while i was watching this and i understood the component of you know the elevator stopping midway and then them trying to take the the uh the weapon from the the guard and all that stuff but it was funny because until the Imperials got the idea to spark the floor and we see the shot of the the water filling the floor, I didn't understand what the plan was with the liquid. Did you guys? Oh, yeah. I, I figured they were going to be trying to short out uh, that the, the floor because, I mean, with electricity running through it, that's the only way to shut it down. It's just completely yeah. fried. I, I thought it was it was like actually twofold. I thought it was that with the floor, but I also thought that there were going to be warning lights lighting up everywhere about like system problems like that would distract yeah. them from what's going on. Well, that came later, but yeah. I don't know. For for me, it played out like uh, you were watching a plan go go along. They, I didn't understand the water component of the plan. And then when that when that reveal came, at least for me, I was like, oh, this is brilliant. This is, I don't know. I, I I was just really enjoying it. Um, uh, what else was it? Uh, okay, so some of the inmates are taken out with the blasters, but eventually the guards are taken out, and Andor and his fellow inmates climb up to the upper level. The water begins leaking down into level one, the level one factory floor, and uh, Kino hands the out blasters but they walk right past the boots. Uh, I wanted to ask you guys why, why I thought they made such a big deal about those cubbies of boots and stuff, but they didn't take them. Well, they shorted out the floor. It became a moot point. Was it? Oh, so did that short out the floor in every part of the building? Well, there, there weren't, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, like the thing is though, is that like, this is an emotional, like, yeah, visceral sequence. So, like, stopping to have close-ups and then putting on these boots seemed to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have slowed thing down. We well, didn't have to show them putting down. it on, but I would like, I don't know. I, I just thought they made such a big deal about showing. I guess they were just trying to show the boots and not show them as like a part of the plan. But uh, I thought it was, I don't know. I thought it was it, worth noting. I guess. Uh, meanwhile, the Imperial Guards are trying to figure out what's causing the the water break alarm and. Uh, Indor and the crew break into the first floor and encourage them to join the fight. They climb up the, uh, the stairs to the third level and do the same there. The voice of God comes over the speakers with an emergency announcement, and we finally get to see the guy, what the guy looks like. And guys, I got to tell you, he looks nothing like what I thought he would look like. <laughs> I mean, people with voices like that rarely do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it was also using like a... Uh, what do you call that? Like where voice, you distort your manipulator. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Kino breaks into the control center and demands he cut the power and shut down all the floors. It's mentioned it would take months to turn on again if they shut the hydro off. But the blast, at blaster point, they make it happen. And it was cool here to see how, you know, the hydropower kind of like works in this plant and how that's like, I didn't even think about that when we saw before them in like the, the sky bridges or the water bridges, whatever you want to call them. And you could see like the water pouring down in inside this like hexagon shaped. Uh, what do you call that? Underwater base or whatever they're in. But that's kind of cool that like the whole thing 
uh, theoretically is powered by just the water flowing through it. it just creates like um, all the energy they need. And uh, the fact that they turned it off means uh, that the, the base is not, it's probably not going to be uh, brought up ever again. I mean, months is a long time. Uh, the backup power supply engages. Kino makes an announcement over the intercom, encouraging all the inmates to rise up together, take charge. I wanted to ask you guys, it, it, there was a bunch of these bases. Do we know if there was other prison breaks on the, the other ones of those hexes in the water? I don't I don't know. Like it really depends on how much the voice of God reached the others. Yeah. Um but we didn't see any people swimming away from the yeah. others either, though. So it's it's anybody's guess, but they didn't happen at the same time. Yeah. I love seeing Andor push Kino to be the leader that he needs to be. Uh, and Andy Circus kicks so much ass here. Um, Brian, I don't think you talk about Circus this episode. No, he's really good. And he, he has this really terrific understated arc of a character from being a cog in the machine, being oppressed further, and then leading people to their deaths. Um, and again, this is one of those microcosms where they're telling the story that Luthen is trying to spread across the galaxy here in miniature in the prison. And it's exactly that, right? Leaders aren't aren't born, they're made. And Kino Loy is one of these leaders here who, by all rights, maybe shouldn't be. Um, and I really love this moment at the end where he's just like, I can't swim. And I... I, I my one complaint about the episode is I sort of wish that that Cassian would have been like, we've got you and sort of like brought together that that familial sort of thing with with everything about how everybody's being treated. But um, there's also sort of this gut punch of them being separated, too, that works just as well. So it uh, it was good. It was a, it was a terrific moment. Yeah. Um, do you think there's any way he survived? Yeah, there's a lot of ways. I mean, like, you don't have to swim. Like, if he's telling somebody, like, I don't swim, you've got to watch out for me, in that crush of people leaving, somebody's going to help him out. And I can't imagine this group of people who, criminals as though they were, but I mean, like, criminals in what way? Like, what did Cassian do? He was literally wrong place, wrong time. Somebody's going to see a person struggling to survive or swim and help them, right? Like... They're gonna get them to the to the surface. Where they go from there is anybody's guess. But Brad, what do you think? Do you think he survived this? Do, or do you think we're gonna? I mean, obviously, I feel like when I ask Brian this, he he approaches it in uh, from a writer's perspective of like, is someone who'd be writing Star Wars like sure that he could survive? But do you, Brad, I guess what I'm asking is, will we see Kino again in the series? Yeah, I mean, I I hope so because and like. I hope that it's not like a kind of tragic thing where like he he doesn't jump because he can't swim and that he gets, you know, stuck, you know, and put in another prison again. That would that would be a real tragedy, um, you know, unless, of course, like as the, the rebellion grows, you know, there he ends up getting broken out eventually uh, and meeting up with Andor again somehow. But yeah, I mean, I do. I, I hope and I, I think it's pr- probably a safe bet that maybe we'll have maybe we'll have some kind of reunion uh this season with him where like he he do, we do get to see that kino loy uh survive you know whether it's 
he joins the you know the cause for the empire or it just happens to be somewhere out and free you know um but yeah i i I hope we do see him i will say that i think if we don't see him this season he's dead (laughs) well but who knows how he could come back in season two in really unexpected ways I mean, I agree with you, Brian. It's possible, but I feel like there would There's, be like we're gonna jump in time to season two, and I feel like Andor would know he's alive by then. Well, it depends on how he actually gets off this moon. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so ISB Supervisor Lonnie Jung makes his way through the alleyways on this lower level of this like metropolis. Uh, is is he on Coruscant? Yeah, they're on Coruscant. We um we see a variety of alien creatures for once, which I like. Uh, Lonnie makes his way to a lift and finds himself a hidden earpiece in the ceiling. And Luthen gives him instructions and uh, congratulates the man on his healthy, beautiful daughter, which seems like an intimidation tactic. Uh, Lonnie reports that there's a new supervisor rising named Dedra Miro, who is looking for Luthen. Luthen tells him to encourage her. That's uh, that's that'll waste her time. Uh, that he had nothing to do with Eldani. Why does Luthen? This guy's working for him. Why does Luthen lie to him? He's gonna lie to everybody. And if this guy has any direct connection to him, like it's just operational security. Like this is the game they're playing. It's the same reason he did that with Saw. Yeah. It's like the whole, like, every every cell is not really connected together, so you can't really trace everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, why encourage him to encourage Dedra to keep chasing it's, him? That seems like a bad idea. It's a mind game, right? If he thinks that definitively his contact said he didn't have anything to do with it, and he keeps pushing her and starts positing, like... I mean, it could be, but maybe it's not, but maybe it could be. And he's not actually believing any of this. He's going to start drawing different conclusions and actually help her make mistakes in that effort. Yeah. Uh, he gives all the info, including the fact that the ISB know there's a uh, a, uh, a planned surge on the, the power station on, at Spellhaus, uh, that Anto Kruger... Krieger, uh, uh, if Anto, God, sorry. If Anto Krieger attacks, they'll be waiting. But Luthen says, if he doesn't, they'll know something's up. So Luthen isn't willing to give up his secret contact for the possibility of these fifty men being slaughtered. This seems kind of effed up to me. I mean, it's a matter of like Anto Krieger is running a small mission with very small stakes for supplies versus a high-placed ISB double agent. Um, You know, when you look at the grand scheme of things, 50 people in fighters, is they're not worth that intelligence asset. It's really terrible calculus, and I think that's one of the most interesting things about this show, which is, again, this microcosm of what Mon Mothma's going through. Like, what are the trade-offs that these people who are forming the rebellion... What do they have to make and what sort of calculus do they need to do as far as lives on a ledger? And it's really difficult work, but you're looking like you're looking at people who are opposing a regime that is 
you know, the, the closest real world equivalent that we could get is like, what if the Nazis took over the world, right? Like, is any calculus in order to fight them the right math to be doing? And I think the answer is probably yes. But it seems weird to me that the like the guy that's kind of starting this rebellion is like so not the ideals of what I imagine the rebellion to be. Like I don't think Leia would make this this call. I mean, Leia definitely makes calls that cost people their lives. Like you think she would risk fifty lives for one? I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like the ideal that we see from the rebellion. Well, and I think this this messy underbelly of it is the stuff that leaders like that have to make. They're the calls that they have to make. Like I'm sure that there there have been calls in the canon where Leia has to make choices like that and decides who lives and who dies. But um, we they haven't challenged Leia with anything this difficult because in the narrative, Leia is supposed to be much more heroic in this show. The point is to show that that contrast and that underbelly. And so that they give these decisions to people like Luthen and we're seeing them with Mon Mothma in ways that really show us that like these people are compromising themselves for the greater good. And, and it's for a tomorrow they'll never see like, like exactly like Luthen says. But I just wonder, do you think the ideals of the rebellion change over the time uh, from, you know, this period until like a new hope? If, if It feels like it changes. It feels like the, you know, the Cassian we see at the opening of a Rogue One, who's just like cutthroat and kills the source, whatever, doesn't seem like the same ideals that we see during, uh, you know, the original trilogy. But I think you're just looking at different types of stories with different types of focus. I think that they could tell stories like this in the context of that classic trilogy yeah. um, without a problem or, or, or without breaking anything. It's just that we, we see the most heroic because the kind of storytelling that encompasses the classic trilogy is very heroic, mythic, um, you know, Campbellian um, hero's journey. And the storytelling we're seeing with Andor is that 70s, three days of the Condor, uh, all the president's men sort of spy craft that there isn't a black and white. Whereas in the Campbellian myth, the black and white is, you know, good and evil are very big archetypical concepts. And here it's all shades of gray. And you could tell those shades of gray stories and they would work perfectly in the classic trilogy era but we just don't do that with our heroes that are archetypes to be held up against the the others. It's just weird because I feel like I shouldn't be relating to Saw Guerrera in, in the fact that like he's not compromising. He's not like he would ne never be willing to make this decision. I feel like maybe I think, because like, I think I think Saw would. I think Saw. I mean, like there's a point in Rogue One where Saw's like going to like. Saw would have absolutely killed Jin if he thought for an instant that she was really there to kill him. Oh, yeah, well, yes. But, I mean, that's self-preservation, uh, pres I guess. <laughs> but, I, I don't know, I, 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 I hate to uh, drag this out. Uh, Brad, do you have any thoughts on uh, the, the tactics of the rebellion in this early, these early days? I mean, it's, they're, they're clearly 
desperate, you know? And so like yeah. they're doing these things that you kind of have to be shady because you're putting a lot at risk, you know, and the cause is much more important than any one person's life. And so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's dark for sure. Um, but you know, these are the kind of things that need to be done for, you know, the greater good of, you know, millions, trillions, you know, even probably, probably people who are being oppressed by the empire. So, you know, we, we see how difficult it is for people to, to do this, you know? And so the, the idea that there are going to be difficult decisions to make and people are going to die, like uh, these people, you know, a lot of them are accepting of that because they know and, and hope that what they do will ultimately pay off in the long run and make everyone's lives better. Well said. Um, okay, the lift stops, opens up, and Luthen is there waiting for him on a platform with no railings, which is always a bad sign in Star Wars when you're high up and there's a platform with no railings. Um, I thought someone was going to die. How did you guys think that someone was going to die here? I just thought it was pretty standard Coruscanti architecture. Uh, I, did, uh, I, I was a little bit worried that, that Luthen was going to have to <laughs> have to kill this guy. Yeah. Uh, so Lonnie says he can't do this anymore because he's a father. He's infiltrated the ISB and has delivered a basket of Intel, but he can't do this anymore. And Luthen can't let that happen. Uh, Lonnie asks Luthen about his sacrifice, and uh, Luthen says, uh, you know, calm, love, no inner peace. Uh, he's condemned to use the tools of his enemy to defeat them. He's burned his uh, anything that's decent about him for someone else's future, and uh, his sacrifice is everything. And I don't know, to me, this is, I guess, what I was speaking to earlier is like, I don't know. I always like to believe that like you should never play as dirty as the, the other side. And I feel like Luthen here admits that he's basically, you know, burned his entire, like his soul. He he's, he's, he's done everything that the empire has in, in an attempt to bring them down because so, that's the right thing. And that, that, I don't know that I, I hate the extreme. I, I hate that we live in a society where um, not to get political, uh, but I guess we will. Uh, but I, I hate both sides of this thing. I, I, thing, I, I hate that the right is so extreme. I hate the left is so extreme. I, but, I, I hate that we're both willing to play like dirty. And I, I wish there was more of a middle ground. Like, I think though that like, that both sides argument is is sort of false, both in our real world and in here, right? Where it's like Luthen is playing dirty and using dirty tricks, but he's not committing genocide, yeah. right? He's not actually oppressing people. Yeah, he's doing things that might cause more people to get oppressed. But what, in, would, in would he blow up goals. a whole planet if he knew that that would... Do you know I mean, like, I, I don't know. I, I feel think like it depends the, on the planet. The more compromises you take, the, the you get put in that position. I feel. But I think I think um, I think those both sides arguments are they ring pretty hollow to me, right? Like one side will, yes, commit genocide, and the other side wants to prevent genocide. Both sides are so bad, like you know what I mean. But the other like, side's willing to let fifty people die right now. I know fifty people is nothing compared to what the empire is doing. I get that it's not an equal like weight. But I feel like there should be better ideals on one side. Like there, George Lucas built this galaxy on there being a light side and a dark side. And I know not everything's black and white. There's shades of gray. But I, I just wish that um, 
this this is not a problem I have with this show. I, I don't have a problem with this, really. I just wish. Um, well, but I, 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 I think, but I think that George Lucas specifically showed you know the toll that that the rebellion took yeah. you know, in order to do things. I you know uh, very famously, Mon Mothma says you know many Bothans died to bring us this information. It's, it's never not acknowledged the risk that everybody is taking to to fight this fight against the Empire and there might be some people who die not necessarily knowing that they're risking their lives or that they are dying, you know, with the purpose for the rebellion. But like most of these people who are making these decisions or who are involved in these fights, like they're, they're knowingly putting their, their lives at risk for, for something greater than them. I get that. I, I just, I'm okay. What, what I'm expressing here is I'm hopeful that by the end of Andor the series, that maybe there's a shift in the, approach of the rebellion and they learn that they they they're not going to defeat the the empire by sinking to their level that's what i I guess i'm hoping but i guess like i don't think they could ever get to the empire's level they're not enslaving people in prisons like they are um yeah there's a big difference between sacrificing people's lives for a greater cause and like actively oppressing entire populations (laughs) it's 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 a matter of scale right like these 50 people or preventing an Alderaan. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, Luthen asks Lonnie to stay with him because he needs all the heroes he can get. Uh, Brian, what what is your read of this whole conversation? What, what do you think uh, this is supposed to tell us? Um, Luthen's conversation. Yes. I think it's yeah, not our not our conversation. The uh, Luthen making this whole pitch about how he like he's basically he's given up everything. Yeah, I thought it was really powerful, and it actually echoes some of the things that I've kind of been saying about Rogue One and why Rogue One is so powerful, and that Luthen is sort of very much on par with Cassian and the entire Rogue One team. Right, these are people willing to do the absolute worst and sacrifice themselves in every way to make a better tomorrow that they're never going to see, right? That they give the last measure of everything they have to do that. And I think before the end of the series, we'll see Luthen make that sacrifice. I think you're right. Um, So Cassian and Melshi uh, escape on foot on what at first appears to be like the snowy landscape, but then we, we cut in and it looks like it's actually sand. And there's like three moons in the sky. Is that that my, is well, that read correct? I think this is a moon, so they might not be moons. One of them might be the planet, too. Okay. But yeah, like uh, this is definitely not a fun place to be trapped. <laughs> um, I want to know how far they had to swim to even get to that get to that land, and then like where are they going to go from there? I feel like there's probably nothing on that planet. How, how do you get off the planet? I, there are presumably ships that they're going to have to get to get off. These next two episodes are going to be interesting, showing us how that how that is. Is there anything left to be said before we get into speculation? Seems like no. Okay, let's let's jump into speculation. Uh, what? Yeah, I guess what happened to all the other in, inmates in the other buildings? Do you do you think they're still there? Like. They only shut off the hydro in that one tower, I assume. So it's not like, I mean, I guess you're saying that the announcement could have went 
to all the towers. It could have. I mean, like, there's nothing in the narrative that tells us that it did or didn't. So narratively, if they decide that the rest of them get away, they will and they can, and that won't feel like a plot hole. And if they decide the rest of them can't, same thing. Um, and I guess the same with Kino. He could be alive or he could be dead. It's just a matter of... Uh, I, don't, I would love to see Kino in the Rebellion. I guess that's just me as a fan of Andy Serkis and what he's done in the series. And uh, I, I feel like he didn't even get a... If you're going to kill him off, I feel like we didn't even get the death that we... Sh- like that he, he his character deserved. I think why cast Andy Circus if you're not going to use him more? But on the other hand, like you do want a you do want a um an actor of that caliber to be able to actually handle an arc in that very scant amount of space that he gets. So it's like I can see both reasons like you want Andy Circus because he's an he's a name and a face now and you can do more with him if you decide to. But on the other hand, if they do kill him here, he's capable enough to make that feel complete. Yeah. Uh, Brad, do you think Lonnie is going to remain a mole working for the rebellion in the ISB? Uh, I mean, you know, it could go either way because he, he has a family now and so surely he doesn't want to risk their lives. Um, you know, I wonder if maybe he'll just make a run for it, but I don't know. I, I feel like Luthen's pitch wasn't like a good pitch. It was like, I've ruined my life for another, like, he's not like selling him think, like a, a good bill of goods, I guess. I think, I think Luthen's pitch is though, like you're in danger no matter what in the empire. And if you leave, you're in danger for me. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's exactly it. Um, and yeah, I guess he just has to decide what, you know, the greater danger is. And yeah, I I, I really don't know. I'll tell you guys, I I have really no interest in this whole Anto, uh, Krieger situation that's been talked about the last couple episodes. Like we haven't really seen it. We, we don't, we haven't seen these characters. I I really have no investment on what's going on there. Like, do you really think that's going to become like a big part of this? I think, it is insofar as this is the only lead the ISB has. What, Brad, what do you think next week's episode is going to be? Uh, I mean, Andor has to get off Narkina 5, right? So yeah. that's probably going to be a, uh, a big focus. Um, maybe so you don't think we're going to like cut to like him arriving on, cur- you know, like uh, not even, you think it's going to be like a survival kind of like, him trying to that's like the whole point of the episode i i mean i think that'll be part of it they could always do a flash forward in time they, they still have to do that at some point um maybe it'll be for the last episode um but yeah I don't, i'm not sure how much time you can spend on you know survival on that planet it, it, it feel it, it feels like you would be kind of i don't know treading water with a story like that um so you know maybe we'll just catch up with them after they've already made made it off somehow but um, you know, we've got the Mon Mothma stuff with with her daughter. We'll probably we'll probably see the next step of that. Um, I, I when I when they'll, I'm they'll pull a House of the Dragon and just cut forward a year, and they'll <laughs> are, like the kids will already be married and they'll be played by different actors. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, <laughs> but I I do wonder if we're actually going to uh, 
meet Anton Krieger? And if we do, do you think he'll be played by anybody recognizable, like someone that we don't know about yet? Huh. I didn't even think about that. I mean, I think we're going to see him. It feels like they're building that whole thing up. Like that's like going to be, I guess that's what my hesitation is with these final two episodes is I feel like it's going to um, revolve around that whole plan on uh, where's it happening? Sears, uh, something Haas. Spell Haas. Spell Haas. Spell Haas. I feel like that's going to be like the climactic, thing of the season and that's i don't know i'm just not invested i don't i think it's it's going to be cassie and actually like we've got a year to cover and there hasn't been another time jump and we could very well have easily jumped past the spell house attack and everything they've learned in the next episode i just feel like they've spent way too much time on the spell house thing if like they're just going to jump like all five lines of it Eh, whatever well they set it up in the <laughs> the saw meeting and then they went yeah there was a there's three episodes of it brian i mean sure it was only a few lines in each episode but still okay I well, brian, it's a MacGuffin. <laughs> brian what do you think the final two episodes because we know the final two episodes are one arc so i don't think there's gonna be a flash forward there i'm guessing i'm guessing we're gonna probably get a flash forward before the next episode I think I think the big thing, the big thing for Cassian's arc is whether or not he's going to commit to the rebellion. And that's where we're going to get. He's going to finally commit. And then season two is actually going to be his work for the rebellion. I think you're right. Um, what is the climax then? What it, What is he's going to have to make that choice and it's going to clash on Ferrix. Ferrix is going to be the side of the final battle or the final climax of this, because those are the pieces they've been putting yeah. on the board. Yes. Go Ferex, back for the mom, right? Or, or they kind of, they could keep that for next season. Uh, yeah, but I mean, she looks like she's on her last legs, especially since she won't even turn the heat on. <laughs> uh, Brad, any thoughts on what we're going to see in the next few episodes? Uh, no, I th- I'm mostly curious about exactly how the time jump will function in the narrative and like what, exactly what, like what we'll skip over and where we'll see the characters before we head into, uh, season two, which will, you know, in, in its entirety cover even more time than this first season. So, um, I, you said you think that the time jump will happen before the, the next episode? Uh, yeah, I, well, I mean, like if we've got this two episode arc, so if they skip ahead, they rebuild all of that narrative intrigue to ask us force us to ask questions. If it starts with Cassie and just already off in a completely different situation in media res, we're all going to be going, how did it get off? What happened? And then if they slowly dole that information out, it's going to create a really exciting audience experience. So if they do jump time, we've got that to look forward to. If they don't, I think, I, I don't know. I think they will. Uh, my, my argument for them jumping time is it seems like if you continue the story of them trying to get off this, thing it's the same arc do you know what yeah, i mean like if, yeah. it feels like it, tony goray has said that this is like a two episode ending finale arc and it feels like it has to start something new and not be a continuation of what we saw if yeah. that makes sense yeah that's fair i think that's fair but um any other speculation guys i i'm just i'm gonna speculate what i'll be drinking <laughs> Uh, when I watch the next episode, it's probably coffee. It's probably, probably coffee. coffee. Yeah, I'll probably be uh, late at night. It's kind of it's a little bit of a bummer because at the time that we were recording this, 
uh, we we are ahead of the game by a couple episodes, so we ha- we have to wait like two and a half weeks before we get to see uh, episode eleven. Yeah, we should probably note that while you're listening to this on November 9th, we're actually in the past, and we yeah. were we were in we were on we were in Halloween. Yeah. Uh, so there's probably like stuff observations of the next episode that we've already recorded. Uh, I mean, uh, episode nine that you've already listened to, but uh, we've already recorded last week uh, that we probably didn't even notice. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, and so, and so, and we'll also be missing feedback too. So we'll probably have to do some catch up on the feedback when we come back for episode eleven. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, uh, you can find more of all of our work at slashfilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter. I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, speculation to Peter at slashfilm.com. And please read and read this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.